Welcome to Moxer Manager, part one of hopefully two of a brand new mini-series here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, where today we are going to learn how to manage the Moxer. And for this particular issue, we are going to focus on the davening for Rosh Hashanah with an emphasis on Mosaf, though we will talk about Shachars as well. And what we are going to mainly be looking to do is to break down the Moxer to its simple parts and hopefully simplify the davening for us and for a davening so complex and so deep it's really hard to simplify but what I find and what I think many would agree with and this is true for many experiences in our lives and especially in our religious experience those things which seem to take longer those things that we grow up and it just you know, the, um, the, the, the pieces of our liturgy, for example, that seem to just take forever and to drag, those are usually the pieces of liturgy that we have no clue what's going on in that liturgy. And since we don't know what's going on, it's really hard to follow. Since we don't have the layout for us, so it's, it's, it's hard to keep up with it. And this is something we spoke about in the introductory shear for this miniseries. And we're going to try to dispel that, to get rid of that, so that we can approach the Yom Noraim with the best attitude and with a thorough preparation, a readiness to go into that, what is otherwise a long davening, in a way that makes it seem much shorter, because once again, we are being fulfilled by it. Time flies when you're having fun, and in a certain sense, you're supposed to enjoy the Yom Noraim davening. You're supposed to enjoy everything you do in your religious experience, um, except for maybe the parts where, specifically, you're supposed to channel an, an emotion that is not particularly joyful. But for Yom Noraim, we want it to be uplifting, um, as much as we want to feel the fear and the awe of the day. And part of doing that is, once again, to get rid of all the extra noise which um, distracts us from the, um, the, the Amun Raim davening. So, for example, um, the many pages, the so many words, and all the other things that keep us from channeling the proper emotions. Um, but one more point of introduction I'll make to this particular share is um, a point that I think is not only just important in general, but it is something that... It's kind of like a reality check, I guess. And, there, um, and really, it's based on a story. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine asked me, oh, can you recommend any good readings for, for Yom Noraim? And the funny thing was, apparently, he asked my brother the same question, and he got the same answer from both of us. It wasn't the answer he was looking for, but I think that's, it's important that he didn't give us this answer, and I'll come back to why. But we both said, yeah, open the machzer, and just, you know, look through the davening. We, and my brother and I both felt that that was the best possible preparation you can do for Yom Im Noraim. You want a good reading. You want something that'll, you know, get you into it, into the, into the right mode, something that you can do to prepare yourself for the Yom Im Noraim. Well, you are going to be standing in shul for a bunch of hours, and this is the book that you're going to be holding. So if you want to, you know, if you want to prepare, why don't you look through the machzer, get an understanding of the davening. And... Um, as I mentioned, um, he, it wasn't the answer he was looking for. 
he wanted something perhaps external um, to the text of the davening itself that would hopefully speak to him. And in general, usually we tend to do that. We tend to look for some kind of external motivation, be it the baltzfila, the you know the tunes, someone who's going to be able to inspire us instead of us having to do the work ourselves. And now, again, that could be nice in some ways, but it could also be distracting in other ways. Um, it can help you channel the right emotions, perhaps, but you don't want to forget that you know, you're reading these words. You should understand what these words mean. And if you can get intrinsically motivated by the Yamunarayim davening, you won't need to rely on those external um, aspects. And so really, the best thing you can do, the best favor you can do yourself before you go into Yamunarayim davening, whether you're about Tfila or you're just a congregant, is to do exactly what we're doing now, and it's to just get an understanding of the flow of the davening. And the deeper you can go is always the better. And... I'll tell you right now, that's not what we're going to do in this particular series. I'm not going to break down and translate every single word for you. You could do that for yourself with an Arts Girl Moxer. But what I am hoping to do is to give you an outline of the davening and address some of the important questions and themes regarding which we daven for the Amun Arayim. And once again, today we focus on Rosh Hashanah. So, one thing to, um, to notice you know, there are, there are a lot, I guess there are some terms you want to know. And these terms will help you have an understanding of, of why this davening is different from other davenings, even though, um, you know, it might sound like I got the wrong holiday right now. But when it comes to the davening, this is true for both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and perhaps we'll mention this in the next um, episode of this series. But um, some of the terms you want to know are... A piyot, or piyutim. A piyot literally means a, a poem. Piyutim would be the plural. And there are different kinds of piyutim. And all of our liturgy that's not taken from Tehillim directly, or taken from somewhere in Scripture, somewhere in Tanakh, is taken from these piyutim, which were written by many different people. Um, some people who were Tanayim, some people, maybe later generations, maybe they were Ga'onim, maybe Rishonim, but most of them come from, you know, we find them in Slichos, we find them in Kinos, um, but they, you know, and we find it um, very much in the Yom Amnurayim davening as well. And these piyotim are scattered throughout the davening. I wouldn't say that, that every piyot is absolutely important, that you have to say it, but since we are saying it, and or saying many of them, we want to get a good idea of what these piyutim are about. Now, even within piyutim, there are different kinds of piyutim. So there are, um, so for example, something that we spoke about when we were doing the Dalad Parshios series, or the special Parsha Panorama series just to the four Parshios. So we spoke about the concept of Yotzros and Krovos. So Yotzros is just referring to the piyutim that are thrown into Shachris by Yotzer or Vari Choshech. So throughout the Birchas Kriya Shema, they've been referred to as Yotzros, based on Yotzer or Vari Choshech from Birchas Kriya Shema. Then the Krovos, which literally means coming close, so those are all the ones that are inserted into the Shemona Esrei. And we have many of those, right? And there are some that are more famous than others. Right? Perhaps the most famous of the piyutim is Unasana Tokef. Uh, but there are many 
um, less you know well known Putin. You know, besides for the Vacholma Minims and for the um, what else do we have? On the the Melachelion, Hashem Melach Hashem Melach Hashem Yimlochli Lambaed. So there there are a lot of different um, Putin. Some of them, again, are less famous, and some are omitted by some congregations. But what you want to look for when you're, you know, when you're trying to understand this piyutim is to, you know, if, if it helps you, so you can look at the poetic form, like you have a lot of alphabetical acrostics, some that are reverse alphabetical acrostics, right? So you might have aleph to tough or tough to aleph. You might have some that have the alphabet twice. You might have some that that uh, go through the atbash, where it's aleph, tuf, bez, shin, gimel, kuf, for example. So you have all those different forms, and you can, you know, the art scroll at the bottom will tell you who authored it, or if we know who the author was, and it highlights some of the themes there. And what I would tell you to do is you can go through these piyutim beforehand. Again, do it before Rosh Hashanah. Do it before Yom Kippur. Don't 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 wait till you're stand, till you're sitting there. It's because then because you already have to read the words. You can make notes in your machzer as a baltfila. I make notes in my machzer of what songs I want to do. Something that we spoke about in baltfila workshop. I make notes for how I want to say the nusach when I'm singing the nusach. How exactly I want to do it. When do I want to go up? When do I want to go down? But I also make highlights of what the paragraphs are about. Two or three buzzwords. That's all it takes. And you just, and whenever, or you could underline parts that you think speak to you. You have Piyutim that talk about the Akedah, Akedah Siyatzchak, special for Rosh Hashanah. Piyutim that talk about other um, stories pertaining to the Avos. A lot of different themes. Another kind of Piyut that we didn't mention yet is Pismonim, or a Pismon. Pismon um, is usually something that's responsive, something that the Baal says and then everyone else repeats. And there, also, the, those Pismonim, and you know, they'll, they'll be very small Pismonim sometimes, where it'll be just be two or three verses that the Chazan's going to announce. And those are, those are ones also that you should look and see how the themes of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are highlighted. One more kind of piyot that I want to talk about, which is common um, really to both Shachars and Musaf. However, when it comes to uh, Musaf, we really find this um, before Musaf as opposed to Shachars, where we find it in the middle of the Chazar Sashats. We have a Rishus. A Rishus tefillah is basically a personal tefillah by the Baal tefillah, by the Chazan, where he is introducing his speech, he's introducing his, um, his services as the Shliach Tzibor, talking to Hashem about how he was designated by the Kehila, how he's afraid, how he feels he's not worthy for one reason or another. And you find different versions of these Rishos Tfilos. I don't know if you would call them Rishuyos, but you find different versions. There are different poems written by different people. And you, if you look in Shachris for day one of Rosh Hashanah, day two of Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Kippur, um, you'll see that there's a different Rishos Tfilah that precedes the, 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 the main part of the Shachris, Shmona Esrei, right after the Amida, sorry, not the Amida, the Bracha of Avos. Right, so in, uh, right at, or in the middle of the bracha of Avos, 
um, or between Avos and Mechaye Mason, you have this Roshos Tefillah. Now we're probably more familiar with the more famed Hinnini of the Bal Musaf. The Bal Musaf says this Hinnini Tefillah. And when he says this Hinnini Tefillah, he's essentially saying the same thing. And this comes right before Musaf. Fine. So th- these are just is some of the things that we want to know. So now that we, you know, when you come across them in your davening, you know what you you have a, li- a little bit of an idea of what you're saying. And so th- th- these are things to look out for in your machzer. Maybe we'll take a little bit and look at some themes from some of the davenings, but I really want to focus on some bigger picture themes in the davening um, that we find. And again, I wanted to capture most of what we want to know for the Rosh Hashanah davening. But, again, we have just an understanding of some of our terms. Again, you want to know piyutim, and you want to know that there are some that go into um, the davening before we get to the Shemona Esrei, right? And the, um, the, the Yotzros, there's some that are in the middle of Shemona Esrei, the Krovos, and there are Pismonim, the ones that are responsive. And we have the Rishus Tfilos that are offered by the the Shliach Tzibor. And in Musaf, there actually happened to be a, a, a more than one, besides for the Hinnini that the uh, Baal Musaf recites, there are a handful of other personal Tzfilos that the Chazan recites as well. But and, and the, those are usually the ones where um, it'll say the chazan, um, you know, just the chazan will say it. And if you look on the English side, you'll see, oh, look, this is a chazan talking about his mission as a shliach tzibor. Okay, so those are, again, so some things to look out for in the machzer. And as soon as you're able to identify just what you're looking at, it makes the job a whole lot easier. Okay, so... We, th- those are some of the introductory things that we um, we should know, and mainly focusing on, again, the Rishus Tfilos and the Hinnini, because these are common to both the Baal Shachris and the Baal Musaf in a certain sense, that they're both giving these words of introduction. Another one I would talk about is the Misod Chachamim, which appears throughout the Amunaroyim Davening. So, um, you know, um, we have um, right after, uh, before the Rishus Tfilah, so you have Laman Shmo Biahava, you finish the first paragraph of the Bracha of Avos, and then we have this paragraph, Misod Chachamim Univonim Umilemed Da'as Mevinim, which means, based on the tradition of our wise and discerning teachers, Eftacha Fi Bitzvila Batachanunim, I'm going to open my mouth with Tzvila and supplication, Lechalos Lechanim Penemelech Machayam Lachem Vadane Adonim. Um, and I'm going to try to get favor from um, from the king who reigns over kings and the master of, the, of masters. And what this is doing, this is something we spoke about in Baltifila Workshop as well, is that we are giving a disclaimer because what we're doing in our Shemona Esrei when we start adding in all these Piyutim is a little bit, um, you can say, not as um, traditional, I guess. According, you know, we don't do this for most of our davenings. We don't do this every single Shabbos. Uh, but uh, here, we're throwing an extra piyutim, and why? Because perhaps we need them. All the rachamim that we can muster from this chus avos, all these different things. So we want we, we want to daven as much as possible. As they are yemei ratzon, we have an ace ratzon of tefillah. So we pack it in. You might be thinking, oh my gosh, why is the open room davening so long? Oh, I, have to, I have so much to say. The, the, the answer to that question is because, of course, this is the day that you would do it. If you have an auspicious time of tefillah, why would you not 
do as much as you can to to daven to Hashem and achieve a divine mercy. Now, part of that endeavor would be to also understand what you're saying because you don't want it to just be lip service. But the whole point is that since it's an Eisratz and a tefillah, we're going to try to appeal to Hashem based on our reflexive experience of 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 not just you know not just the reflexive but the reflecting on the themes. So if we're talking about oh wow the avos made some serious sacrifices for you, I'm their child, I'm their great great grandchild. So Hashem, please. Uh, be there for their, be there for me for their sake. So that's something to think about. We're asking not by our own worth, because Hashem, if we're being honest, I don't know if that's something I can, I can, um, you know, I, I can truly, justifiably ask for any assistance from you. So we, so we have that. And so since we're going off script, as it were, by put, by putting in all these extra piyutim, which again we have a basis for. So we say this misod chachamim, which is saying, Hashem, I'm saying, you know, I'm doing this based on, um, you know, based on traditions from people who are much wiser and smarter and holier than I. So uh, therefore, this is my justification for going off script, as it were, and adding tefillos that are not normally in the davening. Fine. So that is one thing that we find here. Okay. So now. When we have so after Avos, and, um, so Avos is interweaved with Piotim, um, the Brach of Gevuros, or Tchias Amesim has it, and then Kedusha Sashem, which is Atah Kadosh, right? So we know that the Atah Kadosh is heavily changed, um, it's, uh, and that's going to go into Hamelacha Kadosh, but we have the whole of Achentein Pachtcha, which will come back to. Actually, no, let's, let's go to it right now. Uh, because this is something that, again, is both common to Shachras and Mosaf. So, if you look, the Yamim Norayim theme in the Kedusha, the Kedusha Sashem, and this is um, something, and the reason I'm going to this now and not later, is that this is also in the Quiet Shmon Esra, as opposed to the extra piyutin that we throw in, like Gunasanatokif and Melech Elyon and Lekel um, Echdin all these different tefillos that we throw in, the goes into the Quiet Shmon So it's a theme of the davening. There is actually an opinion out there, which we do not hold by, that suggests that should really be, should be recited throughout the Aser Samed Shuva. Right? Just like we throw in Zachreinu Lachayim and HaMelech HaKadosh. So there is a forethought to have the entire Aser Samet Shuva davening, the entire bracha of Atah Kadosh, should just be replaced with V'chayintayin Pachtecha. So, now that we see how important that is, we should try to really understand it. Right, so we have this V'chayintayin Pachtecha, and what we're essentially asking is that Hashem should cause His dread to be upon all of mankind, which is kind of interesting. We're asking Hashem, Hashem, please make us shake in our boots, make us shudder, and make us really, really afraid, make us terrified, and make us panic. Right? We say, Right? Let me let me get the actual line because I'm somewhat flubbing it. Uh, here it is. Hashem Elokeinu Alkal Ma'asecha V'Emascha Alkal Ma'ashe Barasa 
There it is. Okay, so we, we want your dread to be Hashem, our God. It should be up on all of your creations, your handiwork, and your and your ema. So these are different words for fear. Right? So sapacha so usually refers to something that you fear from up close. Ema is something that you fear from far away. Right? Um, we find this Rashi on on, on Oz Yashir says this. And apparently, the ultimate goal is vira kolamasin. That ultimately, your handiwork should have yira for you. And basically, the theme once again is that we want Hashem, Hashem's awesome name, to to inspire this awe of Hashem, and we want there to be kavod to Hashem and His people. We want. Um, we want the, um, the geula to come in that vein. We want the tzaddikim to rejoice. So we're really asking for like the perfect world, right? Um, you know, at the very end, you know, when we talk about smichas, karen, david, avdecha, so that's understandable. But all this stuff up until that is the part that's really hard to understand. Why are we asking of a chayntein pachticha? What's the point of, of that tefillah? Which again, it goes into every yamam norayim davening. So, it, you know, it would pay to help us understand it. And the answer, essentially, is that yes, fear and dread as an end goal, doesn't really accomplish anything. Like, well, we're not just asking, oh, yeah, like, God, could you make me really, really afraid? Um, you know, like, who asks for that? And we don't want it in and of itself, but we want it so that we could be inspired to have Yira. Now, what does that mean? Make me afraid, so I'll be afraid? So what we spoke about in the past, based on the Ramban, Yira does not just mean being afraid. Yira means to have an awe of the consequences of our actions. It means to have an understanding of what impact every little thing we do has on our relationship with Hashem. That consciousness, right? Yira is really a consciousness, not of punishments that will occur somewhere down the line, but it's uh, um, the, um, its consequences specifically of our spiritual relationship with Hashem, everything we do and how it impacts that. And the starting point is we want Hashem to actually make us shake a little bit, to get us, yes, afraid of, 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 of scary things, so that we can actually balance things out. We jump to an opposite extreme on, you know, from going from complacency to dread. But again, not so that we be, we be frozen with fear and paralysis, but that we can uh, uh, gain the spiritual homeostasis, you know, the balance, the equilibrium of, okay, you know what? You know, it's not, it's not that Hashem is going to hit me with a lightning bolt if I do the wrong thing. But it means I have a sense of consciousness of the fact that Hashem is in charge of the world and Hashem has a Ratzon and I should be fulfilling that Ratzon. What we're asking in the Yemei Hadin, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, is that we want Hashem to be the undeniable judge, the Dayan, the king, the Melech over the entire world. We, we, we want the world to be Hashem's perfect world. That starts from Pachad and Ema, right? The tough love. That's that's what din is all about, but it's 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 and as we're going to see from from Putim that we'll discuss shortly, that again it's it's really not the end in and of itself, but it's towards that larger goal. With that in mind, let's let's move over to um, you know the 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 most famous of Putim perhaps, and that is Unasanatokev, something that we spoke about. Um, we alluded to it a little bit. And that is the idea that Unasanatokef, um, what, what exactly does Unasanatokef mean? And what is its function in our davening? So, most basically, Unasanatokef, I mean, you, you would, if, you, if you didn't look closely at the Machser 
at its placement, you wouldn't know better. But Nusana Tokev really serves as an introduction to the Kedusha Hashem and the Kedusha Hayom. So, you know, the Ata Kadosh Bracha goes into Ein Kitzvah, which is going to go into Kedusha. And Nusana Tokev is, um, you know, we think of it as being like, you know, the main part of the davening. And in a sense, maybe it is, but it's also very introductory. I would say that really pro- probably the main part of Alice Musaf is the, you know, you can argue the Kedusha, but even more than that would be the Avoda, the Karbonos, um, which is the whole reason for the Musaf in the first place. But when we get to um, Unusana Tokef, so the basic body of Unusana Tokef, there, I would say there are basically two parts, and you might be familiar with the story of Amnon from Mainz, um, and he um, was confronted by a bishop who said he's going to um, essentially punish him and mutilate him if he doesn't uh, convert to, to, I guess, Christianity. And ultimately, Ramon from Mainz, he took time to think about it, and he completely, you know, he, he was so remorseful for having done that, that he asked Hashem, you know, Hashem, you know, my, 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 my body should be mutilated just for, for, for having considered those things. And ultimately, the bishop did mutilate him, cutting different body parts off him in a really grotesque story that you could find in the art scroll Machser. And ultimately, as he was dying, he, um, he, um, he on, during Yom Noraim, he asked the um, he asked to be brought over to the Aron so that he can have a special tefillah just before Kedusha. And according to the tradition, he recited and composed, um, or I guess composed and recited. He didn't write it down. Unasana Tokaf, and then. He came to Rav Kolonimus Bar Meshulam in a dream, and told him this tefillah, and thus it was it was composed and kept for posterity and for our our usage today. And it's it's a very heartfelt tefillah. Again, I would say composed uh, or comprised of two main parts. One is the introductory part, which talks about what exactly the Amunorayim are. Right, unasana tokef kedushas hayom. Unasana tokef means let's ascribe tokef. What is tokef from the word takif, which means strong or powerful? So there are a lot of different words in Judaism for powerful, although there are no real synonyms. When we talk about the word tokef, so usually the tokef means what is the hold? What is the binding power, the gripping power? So, for example, if you have a practice, a custom in in, in a Jewish law. So, or in halacha, you'll say, "What is the tokef of this practice? Is it a diaraisa? Is it, is it, you know, is it um, a biblical command, or is it just rabbinic? Is it derabanan, or is it just the minhag? Right? What is the tokef? How binding? How strong? How powerful is this? We talk about the tokef of something. We're talking about the gravity of it. And when we think about Yamim Narayim, that is essentially what we're saying here. The Tokef of Yamim Narayim is something else. Unasana Tokef Kedushan Sayom. Right, and um, you'll notice that Unasana Tokef begins with the Vav, the connect, the Vav Achibor, the and. So what, what's and? So um, just the line before, we said, I'm about to ascend our, our prayers of Kedusha before Hashem. So in doing that, before we can do that, we recognize the difference between reciting Kedusha on any other day and reciting Kedusha during the Yom Noraim. So that, it's with that in mind that we go into Unasana Tokev, Kedusha Sayom. Let's just talk about how incredible um, these days the Ameha Din, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are. 
And when we recite in Nisan Tokef, so we say that, yeah, Kihuna Rav Ayom, it's really an awesome day. We're talking about how Hashem sits upon His throne. He sits on it in truth, right? Because Hashem is the, is the king of truth. Hashem sees everything, right? So, we talk about how Hashem is the only and singular judge, and He is, um, and, and, and he is opening the book, um, right? So I mean, he's he's signing he's signing and sealing the the din. He remembers what is otherwise forgotten, and he um, and he opens the the, the book of, of of remembrances, the book of chronicles, his book of records, and and throughout we're talking about what exactly is being accomplished during these yamim Naraim. One theme I wanted to point out, which may seem a little bit um, vague. But I think it's you know um, um, the most um, one of the most important lines in Unasana Tokef. We say We say this one again in both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So what's this Ubashofar Gadol Yitaka? And he'll blow or blast the great shofar. And the thin, still whisper will be heard. Shofar is a loud sound. The whisper is a quiet sound. There seems to be like almost like you know a contrast here: a loud shofar sound and then a, a little whisper. So, well, what's that all about? So here is where we'll drop the anchor for just a little bit, because there's something really important here. So you have to know exactly what's being referenced here, all right? The shofar gadol. So. You might say that's referring to the Pasakini Shayahu, I believe, um, where where you find that Lashon, that there was a great shofar. Indeed, um, it's talking about the shofar of Mashiach. However, when we think of Rosh Hashanah, um, you know, the, um, you know this, the, the imagery, and I maybe call it audio imagery, um, of the shofar on the one hand and the thin, still voice, the whisper on the other hand. So when we talk about shofaros, Something that we'll come back to is the shofar. Usually, is a reference to the um, the, the shofar that we heard at Har Sinai, right? The, the, there, the Chumash tells us that it was the sound of a shofar. Interestingly enough, there was no actual horn, right? Hashem, Hashem didn't you know grab a ram horn and start blowing it. Um, though some say that, yeah, in fact, this um, Hashem used a shofar specifically that was taken from the ram of the Ayel Shal Yitzchak the Akeda, and Maybe there's you know some symbolism to take from that, but the shofar we know is the obvious icon of Rosh Hashanah. And the Torah tells us that Rosh Hashanah is the zichro and trua; it's the commemoration of the shofar blast. And from our liturgy, it appears that the commemoration of which shofar blasts the shofar of Har Sinai, the shofar of Kabbalah Satora. Now, why is this important, and why is this significant? Because if you think about it, there's an important connection between the shofar of Har Sinai and the kol Mamadaka, the thin still whisper. Why? Because the, the thin still whisper, where does that come from? So for those who are, um, who are holding a Navi, it comes from Sefer Malachim when he's talking about Eliyahu HaNavi, who was at none other than Har Sinai. He was at Chorev, at Har Chorev, when the Navi tells us about this thin still whisper, that this whisper came out, it, 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 you know, it came from Shemayim, 
And that's where Hashem can be found. Now, this is even more significant when we consider the difference between Har Sinai in the times of Kabbalah Satora and Har Sinai at the times of the Malachim with Al-Yohanavi. Because the, you, you find a big contrast between Moshe Rabbeinu and el two of the greatest prophets in our history. When it came to Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai, you might recall that, at the, um, that Har Sinai was a time of overwhelming din. Right, the, the, the lightning, the thunder, trying to bring that pacha that we spoke about earlier. And because of that din, we were hardly able to stand up after we committed the chet Egel. And Moshe Rabbeinu had to besiege Hashem on our behalf to achieve rachamim. He was you know, trying to achieve rachamim in a place that was overwhelmed by din. You look at Eliyahu Novi in the times of Malachim, and we find that story, it's just the opposite. Because Eliyahu Hanavi arrived on the scene at a time where Hashem himself was not issuing any judgments coming from the place of harsh din. In fact, Eliyahu Hanavi, in the times when the, when the, when the Bnei Israel were um, serving Avodah Zarah, particularly Baal, the rain god, it was Eliyahu Hanavi who um, decreed that there should be a drought to counteract the faith and trust that people were putting into this false rain god. And while, while we can understand and, and, and justify Eliyahu Anavi's yearning for justice, what happened at Har Sinai when Hashem summoned Eliyahu Anavi, Hashem sent him an earthquake and a fire and all these different loud noises, and the Navi tells us that Hashem could not be found there in all these scary dreaded places. Only after the whisper did Hashem emerge. And what was the lesson? Although Eliyahu kept on telling Hashem, listen, I'm just being a zealot for you, he apparently didn't get Hashem's message. Hashem's message was, no, now is a time of Rachamim. Now is a time where Klai Yisrael needs someone to daven for them, not to daven against them. And what we find here between the shofar, the place of Din, we have the counteracting of that, which is the thin, still whisper, the voice of Rachamim. And I would say that this is the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Right? Rosh Hashanah is, is um, ultimately the goal is we want reverence, right? we want Yira, so that we can come to the place of Teshuvah, the place of repentance, or repentance. Right? But that's the goal. Right? And when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is marked by that terrifying blast of the shofar that's supposed to awaken us, to shake us, to scare us. But what's the goal? The goal is that whisper, right? Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's that comforting whisper that tells us that everything is going to be okay, that rachman that we need. Anyway, that's just something to think about in terms of the, you know, the rachman um, the the din berachamim of Rosh Hashanah and the and the the rachamim badin of Yom Kippur, right? The, that's how the Ramban in his Kabbalistic comments describes the difference in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is din berachamim and Yom Kippur is rachamim and din. And parenthetically, um, we um, I'll mention that 
before Unasana Tokef, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we have the tefillah of Melech Elyon, which talks about Hashem as the king. Right? We know there's Avinu and there's Malkinu. Right? But, um, so we have, um, so we have Melech Elyon for Rosh Hashanah. If you look at the Yom Kippur davening, the piyot that's recited before Unasana Tokef is not talking about how Hashem is a mighty king, but it's talking about Ma'asel Lokenu the works of our God, highlighting the goodness of God, how he relates to us through his positive deeds. Our Yom Kippur is that place of Rachamim. Okay, so those are just some thoughts to think about in terms of, of um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Nisan Tokef And Blinadzer, we will come back because there is another relevant piece to this puzzle. When we get to the Yom Kippur davening, we'll see a drastic change on many levels in the Yom Kippur davening, and a lot of it has to do with these themes that we highlighted in Unasana Tokef. So just stay tuned for more of that when we get there. But in the meantime, I want to focus on one more um, piece to Rosh Hashanah, which is really important, and that is the themes of Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofros. Right, so, um, the, 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 we, you know, this is in addition to the Kedusha Sayom, the Karbanos. We have uh, an intro to Malchios, which is Aleinu, and we have all the different verses, right? The Gemara tells us that you're supposed to recite, um, you know, um, I believe it's ten verses um, for each theme: Malchios, Zechronos, and Shofros. And when it comes to this Malchios, Zechronos, and Shofros, we have verses from the Chumash, we have verses from Ksuvim, and we have verses from Navi, from Nevi'im. This is all based on what the uh, based on Drushos, based on Psukim in the Chumash that tell us that, that these are the three themes. Now, these are not explicit in Chumash. They're alluded to through Drash. But one thing that is important for us to ask is why exactly we have three themes for one holiday. Right? That can be a little bit confusing. Right? Because if you have... You know, um, is something that, again, we spoke about in the past. It's a little bit strange to have something like that because it'll be hard to keep up if there's so many different themes. Why do we have so many different themes? Right, um, in, in a rabbinic training course, and I mentioned this in the past, that um, we were taught that when you give a, a drasha, the drasha should have no fewer but no more than one message. Right, fewer than one message is just fluff and it's not substantial, you can, then no one can walk away with anything. And if you have more than one message, everything's going to fall out, no one's going to be able to grasp onto anything. And yeah, we have this Malchia, Zechernus, and Shofros, three themes for Rosh Hashanah. So, if we try to simplify it a bit, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah on Daf Tazayin, I believe, talks about how um, really it sounds like the main goals is, is Malchus and Zechronos, and Shofros is really like a tool for that. Now, we're going to challenge that in a little bit, but I want you to just hold on to that for now. What is the goal of Malchus? What is the goal of Zechronos? So Malchus apparently is to put the crown on Hashem, to coronate him, to recognize that Hashem is the king of the world. That is fair enough. What is Zechronos? Zechronos apparently is the idea that Hashem has this really incredible memory. He's able to remember everything. And as a result, it's kind of scary, right? So we, we actually want our memory to ascend before Hashem in a positive light. We would like Hashem, we'd like to appeal to Hashem's 
um, you can say his uh, selective memory. Hashem is constantly remembering everything, right? So what does it mean that Hashem remembers? It means that Hashem pays special attention, whatever that means. That the, and and, and why, would ha- why would we designate a day for that? Because, again, Hashem can constantly see every memory at once, simultaneously. Hashem is above time. But the point is that when we have a day that we get to focus on it, so that a day that we recognize that Hashem is, is focusing on it, so that gives us a chance, a fighting chance, right? The Yamun Arayim are really a chesed that Hashem does us. Hashem doesn't need to give us the Yamun Arayim, but um, if, you know, we're supposed to do tshuva before the day we die. We don't know when that is, but if you did, if you did tshuva and you're doing the Yamun Arayim, so you're in good hands, right? So Hashem constantly wakes us up at, at least, uh, you know, 10 days out of the year so that we can shape up. Now, the Zichronos is just to give us that attention. Now, why exactly do you need both Malchus and Zichronos? So if you look at the Gemara, the Gemara says that, again, Malchus is that we should accept Hashem's kingship and sovereignty over us. Zichronos says that we want our memory to send before Hashem in a positive light, which is why we invoke things like the Akedah, we invoke the Chaste Avos, fine. Then the Gemara says, with what? How do we macaronate um, Hashem? How do we get our memory to send before Hashem in a positive light? The Gemara says, with the shofar. And apparently, we've derived from that that we have these verses of shofar. Now, um, what the, the question is, how exactly does the shofar accomplish the goals of Malchus and Zichronos? Right? Apparently, the shofar is the tool that does it. Right? So if you look at that same Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Chazal described various rituals that we perform by the different seasons. Um, for example, we have an Omer offering of barley on Pesach when we're judged concerning the produce of the field. We have the Shtehalechem, the two loaves of wheat that are offered on Shavuos when we're being judged for fruit of the trees. And then we have the Nisa Chamayim, the water libation on Sukkot when we're being judged for rain. Finally, for our purposes, the Gemara tells us that we have the sounds of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah when mankind is, is being judged for life itself. Now, this, the tribute of the shofar is unique because it's kind of like this intangible it's a vessel of worship but again what are what exactly are we offering to God when we produce the sounds of the shofar what exactly is the avoda of Rosh Hashanah so apparently the avoda is like we said earlier it's to accept God's kingship the malchus and the favor that we're trying to achieve um, our good memory Right, so whenever, because again, there, there, there are two parts to every avoda. There's what you're offering Hashem, and then what you hope to get in return. What, what's the favor? So the, the divine favor would be the zechronos. We want Hashem to remember us in a good way. And what are we offering Hashem? We're offering Him the crown. Okay? And how, and what's the what's the shel avoda? What is the object of that worship? It's the shofar, apparently. The sounds of the shofar. Okay, so the question, again, is how the shofar generates malchus and zechronos. So, again, let's come back to this Malchus and Zechronos. What exactly do Malchus and Zechronos have to do with each other? Because, again, we were arguing before that you have too many themes on one holiday. We're going to lose the holiday. We're not going to even know what this day is about. But the question is, do Malchus and Zechronos have anything to do with each other? And I would tell you that, yes, they're actually two important sides of the same coin. And what they are really about is Hashem himself. Trying to teach us exactly what, are, what is Hashem. Because if you take one, if you try to use one analogy, one muscle to describe Hashem, you'll always fall short. Because Hashem is really everything. So then what themes do we need to know from the different ways we relate to Hashem? So we, um, you know, we, we mentioned that what we're trying to get 
from Zichronos, for example, is we want that positive reflection that we hope to have before Hashem. Now, that's a little bit strange because there are many memories about us that are not flattering. So how are we to get Hashem to look at the flattering parts and not the unflattering parts? How do we get good Zichronos as opposed to bad Zichronos? If Hashem is constantly remembering everything. So if you look at our liturgy, in our davening, in the, in the paragraphs of Zichronos, we actually don't try to deny um, Hashem's endless capacity in his memory bank. We know that Hashem can remember everything. He's Zohar, Kal, and He remembers what's otherwise forgotten. And without that recognition, there wouldn't be a Rosh Hashanah. Without the understanding that Hashem remembers everything, there would not be a holiday of Rosh Hashanah. And that's why we have this coronation of Hashem. Right, that relies on our understanding that every action, word, and thought is going to be evaluated. So, really, Malchios, Hashem's kingship, his unique kingship, I should say, relies on Zechronos. Right, because think about it. Let's say Hashem was just the Melech, and that's all the day was about. There is something, although terrifying, that is also comforting about having a Melech. Right, because what's, what's terrifying about a king is, oh, if you're near him, you don't want to do the wrong thing because he'll chop off your head. But usually the king is not, you know, he's, he's not in the know of everything that's happening in the kingdom. Usually he's sitting up on his throne. He's in his inner chambers. He comes out whenever he wants to make a big speech. But other than that, he's, you know, he's to himself. He's aloof. Zichronos is what makes Malchus really terrifying. Hashem is not an aloof and forgetful king. You see... This is a king, a melech, but a melech who has zichronos, the ability to remember everything. That's pretty frightening. Now, what we do with that now is now we have a sense of terror. And the question is, how can we stand before Hashem in judgment, knowing all of this? He's both a melech, but he also has zichronos. So this is where the shofar becomes significant, and and really the whole point of Rosh Hashanah. Because... Even though Hashem constantly sees everything, Rosh Hashanah is a day of specialized attention. It's Zichronos, Yom HaZikaron. And what that means is the whole point of the shofar, apparently, that even though, you know, the, even though God is the king every day, and even though God remembers every day, but the shofar gives us the attention to these things. Right? So we blow the shofar and we usher in the king. He's the Melech, Malchayam Lachem HaKadosh Baruch so the first goal of the shofar is realized when we realize that Hashem is the king. Fine. But then, on that same day, we have the same shofar, which is not just used to coronate him, but it's also a cry for divine favor. That's how we're trying to ask Hashem, even though there are unflattering things about us. You are the king, terrifyingly enough. You see and remember everything, terrifyingly enough. But Hashem, we want you to look at the best part of us. So we want, as long as it's a day where Hashem is paying extra attention, even though he could just pay attention every day, and he does pay attention every day, while Hashem's apparently using selective memory on Rosh Hashanah to remember extra especially. So we're asking Hashem, use that selective attention to look at the best parts of us, not the worst. So there we have the shofar accomplishing both Malchus and Zechronos. But if all of the above is true, there's still a question that we have to ask. And that is, what is the point of the verses of shofaros in our davening? I understand why we blow the shofar. It's a biblical command to do so. But why do we have verses talking about the shofar? 
right? Like if I can give a mushal, you know, you have like a, a coronation ceremony or an inauguration of a president. And then all of a sudden, they, we have a big speech talking about the orchestra who's playing the music at the band. You know, like, well, like why? Well, why would you have a special speech talking about the orchestra? Right? We couldn't imagine the event without the musical accompaniment. The instruments are essential to evoke the mood and, and thoughts that we want to have. But, you know, and even if the guests are marveling at that orchestra, but why would any of the speakers at this program talk about it? Right, imagine if we would have verses devoted to machzer, right, machzoros, and we, where we talk about how we hold this prayer book in our hands, just like we talk about the shofar, that we're using the shofar to appeal before Hashem. So would we, would we imagine a prayer talking about the machzer? We have a machzer that's, that's, uh, you know, that's here to, to, to help us beseech you. I guess you have some tefillas that are like that, misod chachamim, or the rishus tefillas that we spoke about earlier. But it seems like the shofar is similar to the machzer. It's just a tool. right? So why are we talking about the tool? And the answer is that it's not a tool. Remember, we spoke about how the, the, the shofar is part of the avoda. It's the chavz shel avoda. Rosh Hashanah is a yom trua. The day is not just the day. It could have been called yom hamelech, or it could have been called yom hadin, or yom hazikaron in the chumash. And um, you know, even though you might find Yom, um, I mean, the truth is, I don't know Yom Azikron doesn't even come up in the Chumash. Why are we calling it a day of truos? Apparently, the crying out of the shofar is essential to the day. And by the way, this is so true that if you have one uh, community, let's say, that has um, um, they, they, that they're going to be reciting the the, the Shemona Esrei, and one community that doesn't have any expert Bali Tefila because they don't, they know they didn't listen to Bali Tefila workshop, but they do have a shofar, you're supposed to go to the place that has the shofar. Right, if you have the choice of, of a chazan or a shofar, you have to get the shofar. And that's because the shofar is what permeates the day. So then what is the shofar? And the answer to this question is, um, you know, is beautifully summarized by Ryosef Bersalvejic, who differentiated between two elements of the shofar. And one is really characterized by the basic description of Rosh Hashanah as Yom Trua. The other is characterized by the Torah's other description of Rosh Hashanah as a Yom Zichron Trua. Right, the, the, if you think about it, and this is what Rav Salvechik explains, that although there is this, this proactive biblical commandment to blow the shofar, there's also a zichron shruah, right? The, the, the essential fulfillment of, of the blowing of the shofar takes place in the heart of its listeners. Zichron shruah means you have to pay attention. Zichron, you're thinking about it in your mind. And, you know, um, the, um, and it, with this in mind, the um, the shofar is a, is a unique mitzvah in that although most mitzvos might not necessarily require a person to have kavana for the shofar which is characterized as a vodashebelev it's part of the tefillah itself therefore you have to have kavana and it's for all these reasons that the shofar's role in our Rosh Hashanah service has to be qualified and, and accentuated because the shofar's role as an essential and not just an extra not just as a, as a tool can't be missed. It represents that wordless voice, the kavana, the intention of the soul of our tefillah. And it's the soul of the tefillah beyond what any words in the machzer can communicate. Sometimes you need a wordless tefillah, just a crying out. And that's what the shofar is about. That's how the shofar accomplishes machios and zechronos. And that's why it's with these intentions that when we conclude the brach of shofaros, we bless Hashem as the shomea kol shuras amo Yisrael barachim. He's the one who hears the voice of the shouting of his nation Yisrael with mercy. Right? The shofar is, is, is not just an extra, but it, but it, but it is super essential.
And that, for now, will take us through the different parts of the, you know, of the Rosh Hashanah davening, hopefully enabling us to manage the moxer just a little bit better as we go into the Yemei Hadin. And Be'ez Rosh Hashem, next time we will pick up with Moxer Manager Part 2 for Yom Kippur. But in the meantime, I wish you Iksiva V'chasim Atobah.